0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. I'm very excited to bring you my conversation with Dr. Dean Crelars today. Dr. Dean is a world-renowned expert in the field of physical literacy. He's a faculty member at the College of Rehabilitation Sciences, Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Manitoba. He's a scientist of the Children's Health Research Institute as well. His Human Performance Laboratory has numerous students and staff directed to undertake research on physical literacy and exercise. He's also been awarded two major university teaching awards and national and international awards for scientific research and innovation. He works with Canadian Sport for Life, Physical and Health Education Canada, the Sport Medicine and Science Council of Manitoba, as well as the RCMP on Community Wellness Initiatives. He also undertakes extensive research in performance enhancement and injury prevention in the high-performance circus setting at the National Circus School and Cirque du Soleil. He has practical advice for anyone working with young children about developing physical literacy and increasing overall health. I think you're really going to like what he has to say. We're hoping that you will connect with Intersection Education by going to our website, intersectioneducation.com. Or following us on Twitter at IntersectionEd. We really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and you leave a review. Without any more introduction, here's my conversation with Dr. Dean Krillars. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Krillars, for uh, speaking with me today and uh, joining us on the Intersection Education Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. That's great. Um, let's get right into it, uh, and start at the beginning. How did you become interested in physical performance and health?
1: A long, long time ago, uh, I, I, my family's a bunch of engineers and, uh, and so they all went the, you know, mechanics, electrical route. And I was, you know, taught in engineering science as a child almost. And, uh, and then I realized that I really had a fascination for using engineering approaches to the human body. And I was really curious that we're we're like a machine. So I wanted to understand that machine. So literally throughout my entire university career, all the degrees, I I just kept on pursuing understanding the human body in the context because I was a sporty kind of guy in the context of human performance. And so it was really engineering science uh, related to human performance that uh, started off at a very young age and uh, and has continued on until ripe old age that I am now.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Now, I know that you're at the University of Manitoba, and um, I was wondering, what are some of the things that you're working on right now? I've heard about a human performance lab. I was wondering, are you still teaching courses, or do you teach courses?
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, last year, I changed. I used to teach 300-plus hours a year, which is like four half-term courses a year, and I've done that for 31 years as the university professor, but last year, I changed, and I went almost to 100% research, so that's new for me. And uh, that's exciting. Uh, But what was important was my lab basically runs on understanding everything from high performance activity levels in very elite athletes, all the way down to a person who can't take a step and needs to take a step for the very first time. The principles are the same, the theories are the same, uh, and you just have to progress and adapt them for each population, and so for me, uh, I, it doesn 't matter uh, i 'm not population specific so to say, but mm-hmm. I am activity specific and I want to know how what makes people move and why don 't they move, and how do I get them to move
0: right. Now, I'm interested in that because I'm sure it wasn't always that way. I'm sure that when you got into mm-hmm. it, you kind of said you're a sporty guy. And I bet you at the beginning, it was more focused on high performance. Was there something that, mm-hmm. you, was there something that kind of helped you to morph your interests into working with all populations as opposed to that high end? Because I know you do you work a lot with teachers and with students now. Yeah, yeah. And that seems to yeah, be a big a... piece of your job.
1: Well, the school is the hub, right? I mean, uh, it's a community hub and it doesn't operate well as a hub. Uh, quite yet. And it needs to work better as a hub in in, in communities. If we're going to succeed at our problems of movement suppressed culture, it shouldn't, all the weight shouldn't be thrown on the schools, but I'm a phys ed grad. So I I fully understand physical education and and I've been a large advocate for my entire life. I I just wanted to see what the realistic avenues are to reach the population as opposed to the 1% of elite performers that I work with. And uh, and I said, well, the, you know, we don't have a problem with elite performance. We have a problem with uh, everybody watching the elite performers. We're a spectator society, aren't we? The greatest spectator society. Every single app we make is designed to make us sit in front of a computer. Um, but in the end of the day, uh, I, I don't think I ever really shifted. Certainly, grant funding uh, always did that because grants, there are very few grants for high-performance research. There's lots of funding to try to help the general population get active. So that did definitely steer me, uh, chasing the almighty dollar. But it wasn't because of the dollar. It's because I was interested in it. And I said, well, why isn't Billy and Betty getting off the couch, right? Uh, Why is this true in 2018 and uh, not true in 1960?
0: Yeah. And now we're going to get into some of those reasons. But before we do, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to go back and, and talk a little bit about some of, these, um, some of these basic concepts. And I know one of the things that you talk about and we hear a lot about is physical literacy. But I am a little bit worried that that we still don't have a common definition or that there are some people that are unsure what it is. Do you want to maybe give mm-hmm. us what your definition is and, and, and how it might apply to um, an education or a school context specifically?
1: Yeah. What a great question. And, and I'm going to tell you, the, the term literacy, reading and writing, the ability to read and write, which is the most fundamental thing we believe in. Of course, if you can read and write, which is a skill, you can then participate in society in whatever you're doing, right? So literacy went through the same kind of angst of definitions uh, 100 years ago, especially in the 1950s. There's a lot of fisticuffs almost about what is literacy? But it's been going for a hundred years and in Canada, we're at 95% literacy rates, which is fantastic. Numeracy or numerical literacy started in around the 60s when John F. Kennedy made a speech about going to the moon and saying it's not good enough just to have the skill of reading and writing. We have to have the mathematical skills that go along with that. And so then numeracy skyrocketed, and, and schools have overly focused on numeracy and literacy at the expense of physical literacy and physical education. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And to me, had physical literacy, which was created by Americans in ni- 1884, was the first use of the term mm-hmm. by an American Army Corps of Engineer fella. It's not a British <clears throat> invention. It's not a Canadian invention. The Americans had it down pat in the 1920s very solidly. And they said it's a disciplined command over your body. That was their definition, which I thought was really interesting. Colorful language from the 20s. But that really is the ability to move, right? Which is the fundamental thing. I need to be able to move to shovel snow. I need to be able to stand on a chair and change a light bulb. I need to be able to walk on ice because I don't want to slip and break my hip. These are fundamental movements that all Canadians need to have. Not throwing a baseball. That's not a fundamental movement skill. That's a fundamental sports skill. So to me, physical literacy is all about, as it was clearly articulated back in the 20s and 30s, as the ability to move in all contexts, land, air, ice, snow, water, and even more importantly, in social contexts, in front of another person or by yourself. And finally, it's not just the ability to move, it's the psychological aspects of feeling confident and competent to move. So that if you are competent to move, you'll definitely be more likely to be engaged and therefore be motivated to participate in activities, whether that's shoveling snow as an activity of daily living, whether that's being a, uh, a physical worker at a vocation, whether that's in recreation, sport or even physical education. So to me, it's really summarized nicely and consistently over the last 100 years as the confidence and competence to move in all different contexts. And that is indeed what the American definition looks like and the Canadian definition the primary wines look like. There are subtle differences between people, and I call it dickering at this stage. We're in the stage of intellectualization of the term, as opposed to, you know, like, well, does it include this? Does it include that? But if you talk about physical literacy, you're talking about helping somebody to become confident, and competent to move that's the most simplistic way to think about it and certainly that is a large part of physical education that's a large part of coaching that's a large part of being a recreation leader that's a large part of being in the military you want to be competent at moving yes you want to be confident yes so to me in the end of the day it's uh It is pretty straightforward, and almost all the definitions around the world now include confidence and competence as the primary and core component. So I'm not worried about the dickering about the definition.
0: definition. Now, let's give people an example. Let's say uh, they're in an elementary school. They're working on this confidence and competence. What are the types of activities you would see, or maybe even contrast that? What would the type of stuff that really wouldn't work on physical literacy, and what is the kind of activities that really would work on physical literacy?
1: Yeah, what a great question. And I'm I'm going to answer it this way to you. that We've created a checklist called a quality physical literacy experience checklist. And if you think about the the connotations of, of physical literacy, it requires you as a physical educator who's a good pedagogue, as a coach or as a recreation leader to follow this checklist. Otherwise, you're not really delivering physical literacy. So you don't teach physical literacy. You create experiences in which people can actually develop the competency and confidence. You don't just give them a sticker and go, hey, you're confident. So what it means is that you don't – I'll give you a a very clear example. If you set up a lineup of 12-year-old kids on an agility ladder and you say, hey, we're going to learn a new movement skill today on on the ladder, and you put a lineup of 20 kids on one ladder, you're violating – a very important pedagogical rule as well as a physical literacy rule, because every single kid that's number two, three, four, five, six to number 20 is looking at the person moving in front of them, which sets up what's called social inhibition. You Even if people aren't looking at you and you've got 20 people staring at you and you're about to learn a new movement, that violates the most basic principle of learning a new skill. Get rid of time pressure, get rid of peer pressure later on you can bring it back, but that's good pedagogy. So lineups are against the rules of good phys ed and against the rules of physical literacy. So to me, uh, sorry, uh, so to me, um, a a good pedagogue in physical education would have five ladders that are half the length. And then there'd be four kids on every single ladder and therefore be able to learn basic fun movement skills. The other component of physical literacy in physical education, sport, and recreation that are essential components is to integrate social connection and fun. Mm -hmm. Fun is what those are the number one and two reasons why people stay in activity. It's not about throwing a ball against the wall and learning a basic movement pattern. That's a ridiculous concept, especially when almost nobody plays baseball. I mean, I'm not saying don't learn the baseball skill, but there are many other ways in our life where we throw and catch every single day. And that's an essential feature of life. Baseball is not, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't do baseball. So learning how to throw and catch in different ways is a very important thing to do. And letting a child do that in a fun and socially engaging manner are critical to have them participate, not just in that class, but beyond that. So those are three examples of good pedagogy and really good physical literacy experiences for the child. So we tend to set up circuits when I'm running classes from kindergarten to grade 12, even university, I set circuits up. Okay. So movement, competency circuits. We don't call them that. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they go and they go to, they get to choose the one they want to go to. And this is a trick. They go to the first one. So five kids here, there, there, and there. They're all going to rotate anyway. So they have to do them all, <laughs> but they get to choose their one. So that's cool. But then they actually go <clears throat> and they have knowledge of results. I'll finish on this part. They have a knowledge of result. So that if I had a young kid, I'd have a bucket and beanbags. And then they know by their throwing technique whether the beanbag is going in the bucket. So they have knowledge of results of whether they're doing it right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore, right or wrong meaning getting it in the bucket. And so then they can move the distance from the bucket and they can actually, without me giving them instruction, learn to get better at doing something. It's almost now, like a built-in
0: self-assessment. Self, uh, it's like they see that right. visually, therefore they're getting immediate feedback. Okay, am I doing well at this? Let's move back. If I'm doing, oh, not so well at this, okay, I can move forward.
1: Right. And, and I've never seen a child – I don't have to teach them. I don't really care if they throw and step forward with the opposite leg. <laughs> That's kind of cool to me. That doesn't bother me. Why is that a problem? And it's like, okay – but if I keep moving a person, a child back and they don't even need to know this, five feet from the from the bin, ten feet from the bin, twenty feet from the bin, or whatever in meters, they have to throw into that bin, they will learn on their own that they actually have to do a weight transfer trunk rotation on their own. Mm-hmm. I don't have to I don't have to tell them to do that and emulate me. They learn on their own. And that's a really interesting thing because if they If they own the movement, if they feel that they've learned the movement on their own, that's called mastery progression, Mm -hmm. where they think they want to master something themselves. And that's called talent, by the way. Every child should see that you're talented. They don't have to be the best in the class. but They say, I'm really interested in learning how to do this better. You'll never be the best in the world. There are very few will be. But you do want to say, hey, I want to get better at something. So quality physical literacy experiences have every child feel that they're talented and also can self-monitor on their own, which is decision-making. And so these are all essential features of physical literacy, and in my opinion, essential features of quality physical education. Yeah.
0: Uh, Or one could even say uh, decision-making as a quality feature of life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Um, We tell our kids too many times, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do, and they never get that decision-making experience.
0: That's it. I've seen that some of the work you do is worth the Cirque du Soleil, which is a
1: pretty big deal here
0: in Canada and I think around the world. Um, I'm interested, why why would you work with circus if you're working on physical literacy? And what have you found with kids or what kind of the findings that you found for um young people or even older people that do that do phys ed? Is it something that we should be looking at as a school? Should we be doing circus yeah. instead of baseball?
1: Yeah. Well, not instead of. Um, I came across circus in a very random manner. Uh, I was running an international physical literacy conference, and I allowed a, a person from circus to come in and present on circus, because that circus individual, uh, Patrice Obertin is his name, he's the from the National Circus School in Montreal, the top, most elite school in the world, and he saw that physical literacy is what circus is. And so he came there and presented, and I certainly agreed with him. I walked up to him, handed him a a piece of tissue paper that I wrote. Let's start a journey together. Handed it to him. And then a few days later, I was in Montreal, and then my career in circus took off. Um, Why is circus interesting? In physical education, it's really interesting, because if you actually look at how circus is run, it is highly inclusive and it finds something for everyone, whether it's at the high-performance side, you're viewing a show or whether it's for kids it's almost like that circuit thing so when so what we did was we ran six years of programming where we we gave physical education teachers circus arts instruction training and then they went back and used circus arts as either a segment or a year-long theme and then what they found the results are astounding for children uh, in that everybody found something for them to master, but they still had to get better at everything else. And even though they were learning circus-specific skills, and I'll, I'll give you examples, in grade five, they were doing unicycle. They were walking on, uh, on tightropes. They were doing hand-to-hand work. They were doing acrobatics. They were hanging from trapeze and silks. They were juggling. They were on rollabolas, They were doing all of these things. On mini trampolines doing forward flips, grade five. And I'm not talking about the circus kids that were in the club. I'm talking all kids in the class. And so that's an amazing revolution. Now, everybody got better at something. Everybody got better at everything. And when you have to get on and off of a unicycle, you also get great balance. Mm -hmm. If you're juggling, you also get great throw catch skills. You also get the ability to create your own movement patterns, which is really cool. That's ownership, which means commitment. And and so we saw that not only are circus skills developing in these kids, but all of the basic movement skills of life are developing at the same time, and they don't even know it. And they get, they get confident, massively confident, just over the roof, interested. I was in one class sitting, and a phys ed teacher said, hey, kids, I'm going to run a circus for the next hour. Or, or sorry, hour during lunch recess. If you guys want to come, please. And everybody said, we're not going to recess, we're going to Z class. <laughs> now, when have you ever heard that before? And I was just like, I almost, I almost cried. It was like, it was amazing. That's but nice. circus is really just really good pedagogy. And it's a really good example of physical literacy experiences. It's not saying do circus. It's saying, look how circus does what it does. Steal the best ideas from it. And let's use that approach. And uh, <clears throat> so at the young level, it is very inclusive and, and gets almost every single one of the primary global learning objectives of physical education accomplished.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, we've talked a lot about physical literacy, but, but the underlying thing that we also need to talk about is overall health. One Mm -hmm. of the factors, or one of the indicators of health, that I think that we're seeing is is this development or this increase in obesity. What are you seeing? Is if you make kids physically literate, does obesity go down? Uh, Are you seeing any links between those? Especially, do you have the long term research? Like if we're helping these kids, do they become healthier adults?
1: Yeah, health is a very difficult thing to define. And at one time, it used to be the absence of disease. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so you'd say, "Hey, that person's otherwise healthy, but now ninety-five percent of the Canadian and American public aren't meeting the minimum physical activity criteria. So, therefore, you'd say ninety-five percent are unhealthy." And that, what I would say, is accurate. That's scary. And then from that, there are over forty-two different conditions, over forty-two different conditions that relate to physical inactivity. Through many randomized control trials, psychological issues, mood, depression, anxiety, to physical issues like uh, bone density, um, uh, cardiovascular disease, sleep apnea, 42, clearly evidenced in literature. So we know that being physically inactive makes you unhealthy. It's not even a discussion, even yeah. certain cancers. But that's never changed us. Knowing doesn't mean doing. And that's a big issue in our society. We're the greatest spectators on the face of this planet. And so we've created a movement suppressed culture. So reversing that is, and no country in the world, no country, every country is eroding in the wrong direction, is going the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Obesity in every country in the world is rising. There's 20 places in the world that's an exception. 19 of those places are highly impoverished and have no food. That's not the solution to good health. No. One country has it together, but is still eroding as well. So in the end of the day, um, physical education is one piece of this puzzle that it should not be put on your shoulders to cure obesity. Yeah. It's an entire school that is movement-oriented, it's physical literacy-oriented. What our data shows very clearly so far last since 1973 the first Canadian participation ad came out 1973 comparing a 30 year old Canadian to a 60 year old Swede okay they were the same fitness bubble we've been saying eat well and exercise regularly since 1973 with no change in society so promoting activity has never worked in any culture so what's missing and we would argue physical literacy the children are not equipped with the movement competencies that they need and are not equipped with the confidence to participate in activity. And therefore, they don't have the fun and enjoyment and social connection that they get by spectating and being on, on computers and on cell phones. They're not evil. But in the end of the day, when, when we measure it, we measure physical literacy in kids and we change physical literacy through our studies. And then we see an increase in physical activity participation and an increase in physical activity, more than anybody's ever seen in the world before. So what this tells us is that equipping people with physical literacy is the gateway to physical activity. If you get physically active, then all 42 different conditions can slide away, but yeah. that takes 20 years to figure that out. Um, on the obesity front, uh, I, I, obesity is just one outcome measure of those right. 42. So. I don't focus on obesity, but what I do say is that in grade four, five, and six in Canada, and United States, when we measure physical literacy in kids, we don't see a difference, even if they're overweight or obese. Hmm. After grade seven and eight, we do, because that's when the social elements of looking that way change their likelihood to participate. And that's a social issue, that's social inhibition. Yeah. So, so to me, what's the most important thing to do is equip our sports system, our recreation system and our physical education system and our school overall with physical literacy on the same level as literacy and numeracy, and deliver physical literacy and health literacy to our children, so that when they transition into young adults, that they're equipped with the ability to choose what they want to do, and they've had a positive, positive experience allowing more children to participate. Every single school should not have an interscholastic program. Mm-hmm. That's a harsh statement. You must have 100% intramural physical activity opportunities for all children, and then you can have an interscholastic sports program. If you do not have both, you do not have an appropriate school. You're being exclusionary, prejudicial, and bigoted, actually. So I would argue to you, every school needs to change that. Is that an easy thing to do? Absolutely not. Yeah. Has it been done? Yes. The school needs to resonate with, we are a movement-oriented culture, because we don't have a problem with reading and writing in this world. We have a problem with movement. Yeah. So there's, there's a good example. Physical literacy is the gateway to physical activity, which is therefore the gateway to positive social, mental, and physical well-being. So it's a nice little equation.
0: And that's that's what I was going to ask you next is that idea of social well-being, mental health and I, and it sounds like you you covered that the question the original question was, you know, do we see a link to better obesity rates or lower obesity rates but you're saying it's more than that. It's all of those 42 oh, yeah. factors which include social well-being, mental health, all those kind of things.
1: Yeah. Our data actually is interesting. We just finished the study just literally a month ago where we actually looked at resiliency in kids. Mm -hmm. And so resiliency is the ability to deal with adversity and whichever you want, every kid to be resilient. And so we, and it's a big part of Canadian school system through the comprehensive school health model. And we said, okay, well, let's measure it and let's see if it's related. What is it related to? Is it related to fitness of kids? Is it related to physical activity levels of kids? Or is it related to physical literacy? And you can imagine where this is going. Fitness did not predict resiliency. Physical activity didn't. But if you're confident and competent to move, the more competent and confident you were to move, the higher resiliency you had, the better decision-making abilities you had, your better problem-solving techniques you had. That's a huge finding. Whereas there was a, a 80% of children were predicted in their resiliency by physical literacy alone. Hmm. 80% prediction. There's never been a study ever to illustrate a, a mental health issue such as resiliency from a single measure or a construct of measures that physical literacy is yeah
0: you've talked a lot about what schools can do inside of the school hours to promote physical health PE, intramural Mm -hmm. program all that kind of stuff uh but i know that you also talk about the after school time and that after Mm -hmm. school play what are some of the recommendations you have for when school ends
1: yeah i mean wow Let's just think about this for a second. We, we've had, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of doing the same thing over and over again with no difference. And, uh, you know, Einstein would have said we're crazy. Um, what's important is that this solution for physical inactivity and obesity will require money. It will require serious money, billions and billions of dollars per million Canadians. We estimate it to cost $2 billion per million Canadians. Okay. You can do your math on that. If we don't put that money into it, let's just continue on our way. When I started in the healthcare system, it was a billion dollars cost per million Canadians. But right now, it's $6 billion per million Canadians. That's going straight line linear increase with obesity rates.
0: Hmm.
1: Collective impact will have very little, maybe 5% benefit. We need transformational changes in schools, like I was talking about. You should never take, you should never, I'll give you some examples that are going to go into the community as well. Every single sport will have a 100% participation possibility, no cut rule, Yeah, 100%. If you do not do that, you're not doing quality sport. And if you're not doing quality sport, it's not welcome in municipal recreation facilities. Example one, all schools will have 100% recess opportunities by trained recess supervisors who are also anti-bullying trained but also play facilitators. And they are not the phys ed teacher. Hmm. They are separate people because the phys ed teacher is already stretched thin. Another example, all phys ed teachers will go home at three hmm. 30. You will not do any coaching at school whatsoever because that's not your job. Your job is to deliver the inter uh, the curriculum. Therefore you'll have a life. <laughs> and therefore, <laughs> if you really want to coach one sport, go ahead but the intramural programming in schools, the active school space will be run by the community, not by the phys ed teacher. That's a drastic change. Some phys ed teachers would leave their jobs because of that. No, yeah. I'm here to coach. I'm not here to be a phys ed teacher. That's OK. Um, we we need uh, no withhold recess policies that for administrative, academic or punitive reasons, you cannot withhold recess. If you do, the principal's fired. Those are serious policies. Um All sports should have 100% uh, uh, opportunities for participation. It's expensive, but it has to be done. Um, Because right now we just take the early bloomers in society Mm -hmm. and we cleave off everybody else to become spectators. Um, There is many others. I'm trying to think here. Quality programming and recreation facilities should be physical literacy based. So, All programs in recreation facilities should be based on this quality physical literacy experience checklist. And if you don't do that, it doesn't meet the minimum standard, therefore cannot be offered. So you have to have a quality standard that's out there, um, which involves a whole bunch of different things. This is not cheap. I'll give you another example. In a school system, we should have, there will never be a picture day in the gym again. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Why on earth do you demote a single Subject matter for taking pictures. Two weeks off for you have an auditorium and a gymnasium in every school. Oh, yeah, that's billions of dollars. Yes, I know what I'm saying, Dean. I'm saying, yes, you will not take away a principal subject matter that is the root of health of Canadians yeah. at the expense of pictures. Uh, what else can I tell you? I, I mean, you can see I have very strong opinions on this, but they're not opinions that make a lot of sense. Yeah. Everybody tentatively shakes their head up and down. Yes to what I say, but then they go, well, who's going to do that? Those are pretty avant-garde. I said, yeah, well, we're starting. There are places around the world we're beginning to see us. I'll mention the Swedish story. They have an interesting school system. They don't have recess. From 8.30 in the morning to early afternoon, they have standard school, which includes physical education. And then they call those teacher pedagogues. At 1.30, 30 till about 5, they have recreation pedagogues. So you shift from school day to recreation day mm-hmm. in school. That's a really interesting concept. And so to me, it's like every child has that opportunity to participate in something that they like. And of course, they're in trouble too, but they're probably the most protected country in the world at this moment, but they are sliding down. Mm-hmm. Why I say this to you is that the school in and of itself cannot be the culture that changes everything. In my work at the university, I work with, I teach physios. And when the 50 new physios come into the university program, I say to them, I look them in the eye and I say, thank you for spending three years of your life to get into this very difficult program to get into. And I want to apologize right now because for the next two years in this master's program, you're going to have to give up your health to become a healthcare professional.
0: And they all go, thank you
1: for acknowledging that because, well, that's insanity. Well, why are we actually doing that to people? Let's give them the time and the freedom to be able to be healthy. How on earth can we expect them as a healthcare professional, like a physical educator is, Mm -hmm. to actually be a person who's going to do their due diligence to help others if they can't help themselves in a movement suppressed culture? Oh, study, study, study. Well, okay, give up your health, give up your health. No wonder why we have anxiety problems. Anyway, so there are some examples for you. Yeah.
0: No, those are great. And I was gonna ask you ask you about that hyper specialization for young kids. Mm-hmm. But I think that you've mm-hmm. covered that. I mean, I think that you're you're you've you've clearly outlined what it is. Do you have a time when when that might happen? Because we do have that one percent of high end athletes. We do have people that that derive joy and happiness out of mm. pushing themselves. That's perhaps not eight years old. When mm. do you see that well, transition, perhaps happening in a healthy way?
1: Yeah, in a healthy way. So specialization to me is not an issue. If a kid likes to play the violin, why would you stop them? Yeah. If the kid likes to play, if the kid likes to play baseball, why would you stop them? If the parent wants them to do it for an other reason. That's a different matter. Mm-hmm. Overspecialization is a problem. Having a talent that you want to get really good at is not a problem whatsoever at any age, as long as you don't have a complete education. And that means a good movement education as well. So to me, if you solely, uh, hockey would be our best example in Canada where kids go 365 days a year into a single sport, there is a problem because they're losing other movement skills. At 21 years of age, 90% of kids who are AAA hockey players leave their hockey careers after junior hockey is done. Mm -hmm. Their identity is solely tied to hockey. And as a result of that, they go through actually an identity crisis. The vast majority of them, who am I Mm -hmm. after that happens? And if you have no adaptive way, good coping mechanisms to deal with it, you go to the things you know, which is drinking and being a a bad person. That is a hidden consequence of our over-specialization culture. It's not just hockey, it's many others. Your identity cannot be solely linked to one thing. Your identity needs to be more robust. Every single great player in basketball, hockey, football had multiple sport experiences. All of them. There's almost no exceptions to that. So parents think that if you throw the kid in 10,000 hours, you're going to get a Gretzky out. Well, that doesn't work. It's never been shown to work. We need to stop that Mm -hmm. and actually monitor that and say, no, you cannot put your kid in this summer skating camp. They've been here for this amount of time. Sorry, we don't permit that. done. So, but people don't take a stand on that and actually think this through and they need to.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to get one more in the hardcore physical literacy questions before we get into a bit more general. I know you have kids and um, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you did as a parent with your kids to help them become physically literate?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was the type of parent that said, you want to go to the bookstore and get a book anytime." I was also the parent who said, let's go out and do something different today. Mm -hmm. And so literally every single weekend, every single time, there would be an opportunity to try something new. Not I'm going to say, come along now and come do this. No. okay, let's try. We're going to throw. I've got this thing called a Frisbee that people are calling a disc now. Let's learn how to throw this disc. Um, let's go, uh, learn how to use a chainsaw, both my son and daughter, let's go horseback riding, let's go, uh, skimboarding. And I'd be there with them doing it. Um, interesting enough for an adult, as important for physical literacy, I also, I'm a pretty fit guy, but that my kids don't value me for my fitness. They value me because I can do things with them. Now, I, and I will encourage them to do things with me so that I keep on learning new things every single year. And I'm 58 right now. So every single year I keep on learning. My kids also value that. My kids went into the wilderness at a very young age and we did a lot of things out in the wilderness, which is very useful. And although through their early adulthood, they didn't always do outdoor things, they came back to it. So that's that, that, that buffer, that's that identity that can try different things. And they went through different cycles, et cetera. So for me, I basically had a long list of things that I wanted my kids to try. Team sports, individual sport, recreational pursuits, you name it. And we just kept on doing it and doing it and doing it, which made my children, who are now uh, you know born in 1991 and 1993, um, to become fairly physically literate people, and and you can clearly see that on, compared to their peers, it's a it's quite night and day, and and I didn't know really what I was doing for that purpose at that time, but I was like, wow, it's important to be diverse, mm-hmm. and uh, and parents can do that. It's like let let's let's give this a try. Let's go out and try something new. Let's go walking on the ice uh, in Manitoba. I'll give you the one on ice, which is astounding to me. Last year, we had 130 people break their hips or their wrists in Manitoba on an icy day in one day. <laughs> the next day, it was also icy, 109 people. 20% of people that are my age and above who break their hips die with an ear. So sadly, about 40 of those people are dead today. That's a serious tragedy. And those people who don't have competency to walk on ice, which is a competency, Mm -hmm. who aren't confident to walk on ice, you know what they do? They stay inside for six months in Manitoba, which is a tragedy as well. I'm trying to illustrate to you here that competencies like moving on ice are an essential human need in in Canada. So it's not just about children walking on ice, it's about adults being able to walk on ice. Mm -hmm. And it has serious health outcomes related to it, whether those are social isolation from not wanting to go outside in the winter, which is a massive one, yeah. all the way down to children saying, "I, you know, don't go on ice, it'll hurt you, which is fear-mongering. Mm-hmm. Ice is a lot of fun, is a lot of fun. And, you know, I'd run with my kids and let's go sliding on the ice, you know, and people would be going, are you nuts? You know, parents feel that today when they bring their kids to a playground and they sit there going, my kid's on top of the monkey bars. Am I being a bad parent? Mm-hmm. And I went, what? No, you're being a good parent. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway. Or I've seen uh, teachers at the rec- uh, at the recess yeah. kids find the ice patch where the puddle is frozen over, and they keep everyone off. They just no one can yep. go on there. And I'm going okay, Well, well, here, let them go. Right.
1: The other right. question thought, that you that yeah, you made me think
0: about was the. I mean, maybe it's Canada specific, but it's uh, any place where there is. Publicly funded healthcare specific. I mean, you talk Mm -hmm. about billions needed, and you talk about the the cost of our healthcare going up. Do you have any quick research about how that investment into physical literacy might actually save us long term in the other side, which is you know paying people to replace hips?
1: Yeah, good good point. Physical literacy has the ability to do the safety benefits to society. Physical activity won't. You can run all you want on a treadmill. You won't get better on ice.
0: Yeah.
1: Physical literacy improves safety, lower concussion rates, lower anterior cruciate ligament injuries in soccer and basketball, lower um, competency related to fractures, et cetera. It also increases physical activity. So it's a win-win scenario. The math on it hasn't been done exactly, but I will say this. There have been numerous reports written by one by Kruger, who's a fellow, you can look him up, K-R-U-G-E-R, who looked at physical inactivity and smoking, and it relates to the costs downstream. And it's it's ridiculous numbers. So if physical literacy does not only improvements in physical activity, therefore all the downstream effects, but also improves the safety of society, not popping your ACL, not drowning in water, Mm -hmm. not breaking your hip, those are competencies not related to physical activity. And you do that, and you just logically go through it. it it's a no-brainer. It, it, it's the the investment of two billion dollars per million Canadians would be paid back in less than fifteen years. Yeah, it's it, it, it's that big. But but to have Justin Trudeau say I'm going to devote sixty eight billion dollars to this enterprise is not is that nobody has the audacity to be brave and courageous to do that. And mm-hmm. as a result, you could triple the funding in obesity research in Canada, and the researchers go, yay, but it would do nothing to society, nothing. So to me, it, I'll give you the example, the Center for Disease Control, went from a, an American agency, went from $100 million in obesity to $400 million. And of course they screamed, yay, but that's like 60 cents per kid. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that? I mean, if, if all of these foundational problems in society and movement suppression are there, what is 60 cents going to do? Yeah. You need to literally take your military and shift it into health. <laughs> and if you don't choose to do that, you're choosing to have poor health. And that's what government officials are doing. They're choosing to have poor health. And I, I confront them with that all the time. And I face them and saying, thank you for not caring about the health and welfare, of." but I give good health care. I said, no, you don't you're not trying to prevent the primary things that are there in society.
0: And as a friend of mine has said, we're we're more willing to kill our kids slowly through this obesity than perhaps um, have them hurt themselves once by uh, doing some things that are termed risky, but in the end would actually build those physical literacy skills.
1: Right. Yeah, Yeah, I just published a paper on that. That's a really good point. And the first time ever a paper has been published where we published on the risks of injuries in playgrounds and the risks of the benefits of play. Nice. The greatest risk of being on a playground is having fun. (laughs) That's a positive outcome. The greatest (laughs) negative outcome is injuring yourself a little bit. So to me, it's like it's insanity. We've had too much safety creep, Mm -hmm. too much I'd call surplus safety for our children, and that's a scary circumstance. Yeah.
0: I'm going to get into uh, more questions about education. And you can take this mm. from uh, a teaching and education perspective, but also through coaching, because I know that you do a bit of both. And, and I think that in, mm. in the questions, they're, they're related. When you think of the term uh, master teacher or a master coach, do you have someone mm. who comes to mind or do you have qualities of a person that come to mind?
1: Yeah, it's the first thing that hits me when you say that. I mean, I believe in competency-based. I mean, a self-efficacious teacher, a, a passionate teacher who wants to do better is, you know, I don't care whether they're a generalist teacher or a phys ed specialist. They're the person I want. And they care and they want to get better themselves to help their kids. Um, those are essential features. The funnier thing is in the coaching realm, when you said it, was we often have our top coaches – teaching our most elite people when we should have our top coaches providing our grade five, six, seven, grade four, five, six children, because they're the best ones at doing what they're doing. And and certainly good coaches and good teachers don't take adult approaches and apply them to kids. That, that would be a violation. And that's common, certainly in the sport world. Certainly degree in phys ed. So to me, a master coach is someone who is competent, constantly wanting to learn new ways to engage 100% of the children in their activities and see progression in all children, not just, and they'll take responsibility for the child not progressing as opposed to saying, kid, you're not doing it. No, no. I just didn't have the right classroom setup and classroom circumstance to actually allow all children to participate so that's what mastery means to me is actually being able to deliver the curriculum and deliver the competencies in sport for all participants.
0: If, uh, teaching or coaching were easy, uh, mm-hmm. what would it look like? Another way to talk about this or to ask this question is if we were to reduce teaching or coaching down to the most essential elements, what do you, what do you think those are?
1: Wow, well, that's a really tough question. Um, I run physical education workshops all the time for how to deliver it differently than you've done it in the past, to shift from the sport delivery model to the physical literacy delivery model. And, you know, some people get it. And and you know what? When you run those courses, you know who comes, the converted already, right? You already know that. But sometimes the non-converted comes, and they really just want to get out to the golf game after it, but they hang around. And I I remember one example where a fella who maybe – 25 years in teaching came up to me after coming to the third seminar that I did. And he said, Dean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've been exactly what you've been saying all the time. I'm a sport delivery model guy. Maybe 10% of my kids get better in my classroom. I don't care about the outcomes of the physical literacy curriculum, but you know what? I'm getting older now. And I I thought I'm going to give this physical literacy thing a try. And after three years of hearing it, he went back to his classroom and he called it organized chaos in his circuit training where kids could self-monitor, still safe, learn about awareness, competency, confidence. And and he came up to me the fourth year after doing it for a year. And he came up to me and he says, and this is a very private conversation he had with me. He said, I'm almost embarrassed for my career now because of what just happened in the last year. And I said, I, I know I, I gave him a big hug and I said, man, this is, that's amazing. I mean, even the courage to say that to me is like huge. And he said, you know, I'm going to hang around for another couple of years. I was going to retire this year, but I'm going to hang around for another couple of years because it's going so well.
0: 100%. And you know,
1: what more could I ask for? And, and it, what it tells me is that people can change and I know how hard it is to do it. Um, but we need to, uh, physical education can be a banner for the rest of the world to change and, and i truly believe that high quality physical teachers make differences in people's lives there's zero doubt about that it, it's just that we need more of them to be at the high quality level and and, and i think i understand how they're trapped into either a physical activity thinking which is this make kids sweaty messes yeah. which is not physical education <laughs> and uh you know old sport model so i think to me, I, I think it can happen. I've seen it happen, and it's just a matter of getting getting them all to change. Getting them all to change.
0: All right, let's move into what I like to call the lightning round. We'll go a little bit faster. <laughs> uh, looking for a shorter response. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite physical activity-related uh, app or website?
1: Oh, app. Well, I'm a Garmin guy, um, which is very physical. Activity. So Garmin has watches that can... Um, biometrically measure you and I like that for an account for especially for adults so Garmin Express is an app on the phone and you need a special watch in order to do that so for adults I like accountability frameworks to keep them going so that's one of my favorites
0: awesome what's a book that you often refer to or that you gift
1: I'll gift to other people nowadays I don't do so much books I certainly send around articles um my favorite article I sent recently was an article done in Sweden, which actually looked at when they had conscription of, of millions of people into the military, they measured them all.
0: Oh, 30 years
1: later, thirty years later, they looked at which people were uh, using their disability system, their healthcare system. It was the kids, because that was down at 14, 15, 16, who were the most weak, and not weak in a medical way, meaning that they, they didn't foster their own fitness and therefore those people had were almost the primary cause of workers compensation cases of healthcare care costs etc so what that study clearly points to is let's get back to grades one two three four five six and deliver it right and uh and and i think you know that's the study i send around most commonly
0: mm. Here's one that's uh, right up your alley. I ask it to everyone, but uh, what's one thing you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy?
1: Well, I I, I literally... um, Well, my most important thing is I go to the wilderness. And so I'm lucky enough, I live in Winnipeg, so I'm 20 minutes away from uh, being in the outdoors in a very isolated way. I, I trail run, and I'm a mountaineer. And so... I get out in the trails and my agility and my decision-making is all around me. I'm on an agility ladder. I can't get off for 12 kilometers. Every (laughs) single agility step is different, but at the same time I'm doing that, I'm out out in the nature world appreciating it. And I'm, I'm burning off, you know, anxiety. I'm, I'm feeling, you know, Zen-like as I run through the forest. So for me, those are some of the most important things for me to do. And, and bringing people along with me for back to nature is is probably one of the biggest things that I find rewarding to me. It uh, kills the physical literacy checkmark easily, as well as gets you back to nature. So that would be it.
0: What's an organization or a person who really inspires you right now?
1: Um, I get inspired by people who, despite some maybe adversity, say the right thing in public. Mm-hmm. So public people like I had the former U.S. Surgeon General talk about physical literacy uh, publicly. I've had, you know, some key uh, ministers of health use the term. Um, people who take the time to learn it and talk about it, especially in the public political sector, I, I, I'm i inspired by. And there's there's been quite a few. And 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 uh, those people because uh, the courage that is needed to do that in this day and age of political realm uh, to do the right thing is very difficult to do. So I, I, I'm inspired by them, and I, I encourage politicians to get involved in this because it's about the health of the nation. And 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 there, I know there's a lot of things you got to stomp little, the stomp fires, but boy, if you invest in this, there's uh, a completely different world we live in. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about uh, what you're up to next. What, uh, what are some of the studies you're doing? What are some of the questions you're looking to tackle next?
1: Well, what I'm doing right now is um, almost all well uh, <clears throat> physical literacy intervention studies is what I do. So uh, I go into schools or after school programs and or in high-risk communities and impose, apply physical literacy programming and then look at the kids who are in that or even adults and then look at the kids in a comparison group who don't get it Mm -hmm. and our studies to date and the future studies that we're about to embark on are showing very significant uh, physical social and mental health benefits Um, i do very high performance circus studies and That has been very powerful to me, and the data that we just finished collecting and are continuing to collect shows that circus people are the most physically illiterate people on the face of the planet. And as a result of that, have bone densities, this is cool, that do not decline until after 60. Hmm. Most people will say to you, after 30, your bones are going to go away. In the circus world, that's not true their rate of mental health disorders is half that of the regular public, Hmm. half. So if they are the most physically literate people on the face of the planet, which I would argue they are, there is a protection mechanism that lasts for life. And to me, that's, um, I'm gonna continue to try to look at the magic behind circus and try to understand the science behind it. So I'll continue to do that for the next five years. That's great.
0: Now let's say people want to uh, follow what you're up to. What's the best way to connect with you?
1: Well, I guess the connect with me. um, Well, i say (laughs) the best way to find out about what I do, and I hate the fact that there are so many videos, but if you type my name in correctly on (laughs) Google and just look at videos, go Dean Creelars on Google and look at the videos. There's hundreds and hundreds of keynote addresses or snippets that I've done on, 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 on the internet that feel free to download. I get sick of looking at myself, but uh, that would be one. Definitely look for courses. Uh, yeah. I run a lot of courses across the country, not for money, but to, to spread the word of physical literacy. Um, and I'm, I'm literally across the country all the time talking about physical literacy and will continue to do so until I, for the next decade. <laughs> so I'm very happy to, to come out uh, you can email me. I get a lot of emails, but I do respond eventually. Send me two or three, <laughs> and uh, and I'm happy to respond. That's great.
0: Well, thanks so much for talking to us, Dr. Creelars. I um, I think you really are talking about an important subject, and it's exciting to see if we really uh, make some of those changes, get a healthier society. Thanks, Corey. That's all for my conversation with Dr. Dean Creelars today. If you like what you heard, Again, connect with us on our website or on Twitter. And also, maybe think about how you're going to be able to put in place some of the recommendations that Dr. Krillars makes about getting our children overall healthier.